Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. I am really excited about this week's Mishnah. It is one that I think we can really dig our teeth into. So it is Perak Aleph, Mishnah Yud Gimel, Chapter 1, Mishnah 13 of Pirkei Avot, who, Haya Omer, he used to say, he referring to Hillel, Nigid Shema Avad Shmei, he who seeks a name, or to be well known, will lose that name, Udala Mosif Yasif, Udala Yalif Ketala Chayiv, and one who does not increase their Torah learning decreases it, and one who does not learn Torah at all deserves death, and one who exploits the crown of Torah shall fade away. So again, we have three parts. Each of these parts, I think, can be really looked at in depth. But I want to start with the beginning, and I'm going to turn to you, Akiva, and say this idea of people who seek fame for the idea of being famous. Is this something that we have experience where why they might do it? Is this a sense of insecurity? Is this a sense of something else? And and what happens when their 15 minutes of fame may be gone? For starters, it reminds me a little bit of what we talked about last week where there's the top 36 or 50 or 100 to quote... Rabbi Green, uh, that need to be just stuck in, in a room somewhere learning and doing and coming up with new ideas as they fight the battle in Shemayim. Um, they, they can't help but think about that of those, not those who are chosen, but perhaps those who think they should be chosen. And again, that's that interesting piece that we have where it's not saying that we shouldn't have those who are known to us. In fact, Hillel happens to be someone that we know. At the same time, we have Hillel, who we know, saying, don't seek to be known. I'm going to answer your question, Avi, and then I'm going to toss that right back at you. But perhaps I'll answer it while we're talking about this. And I think the biggest piece is is that We've mentioned before how if you happen to be an expert in your area, you have a responsibility to stand up and acknowledge that expertise and do what you can to be helpful. Humility and humbleness are not helpful and can be detrimental when misused. So I think that's probably an answer to the question I was going to ask you, which is, How is it that Hillel is saying don't seek to be known when uh, 
he in fact was somebody that was worthy of being known. So I think you've talked about it very well in terms of the religious world, the Judaic world, but let's go to the, to the world that we live in today, right? Where we have the, you know, the, the housewives and the reality TV shows and the Kardashians and all of these people who, who and I had both the, the bracha and the klala of living in LA, which is the same thing, right? Of living in Los Angeles, and where everyone wants to be famous, everybody wants to. Ha everybody has a script on their on their computer that they can share. Everybody has a part that they think they'd be perfect for. It is very common to say, "Oh, you know who you look like? You look like such and such an actor or actress." And so, what is this with our need to feel known or famous? And what happens to people who perhaps get that moment of fame and then? lose that limelight. They come to see people like me, Avi. They come to see people like me. You know, I, I think that it's really... When I was at the program Alexander Moss High School in Israel, and a teacher, and we were sitting at... Uh, I believe it was Hannah Sanish's... Uh, headstone and he asked us all a question he said who is going to come to your funeral is it going to be people you know your family your loved ones your friends they're going to be people whose lives you touched that you didn't realize you touched and I still think about that many many years later who's going to come to your funeral and a question like that, I think, fully answers this, why do we have a need to be known? We want to leave a legacy. We want to leave something in this world that people are going to say, oh, I remembered that person. That person changed my life. That person we learn about in textbooks from years, years from now. Sometimes even longer if it turns out, especially that we realize later on that they weren't fully correct. Um, you know, I, I, I think math and physics, right? When we go from Newtonian things to all of a sudden, and Einstein disproved this, this, and this. Uh, but we're, we're constantly, and, and at a faster pace, we are realizing that one person's idea, one person's way that they change the world doesn't change the world for that long because it turns out to be incorrect. And so, on the one hand, yeah, I think we all have a need to provide a meaningful place in this, in, in this existence. I think at the same time, and, and I'm think about this when you ask the question about people in LA and people who want to be famous and you know, I kind of think about and, and it's not to say that actors and actresses and all these individuals who really th there's no one field that's more meaningful than another right we can't sit here and say that well the arts are not as important I mean the public school system can say that but we know as educators that the arts are important and without a love of music and a love of acting and a love of painting and, and other beautiful forms of art that society would be lacking. 
So we, we can't say that one is more or less than another. And at the same time, you know, I think that sometimes some of these shows, these producers who come up with these ideas, and maybe it's not the producers, I don't know the technical jargon, but it's playing off of people's need to be remembered. The real anything of anything, really? That's, that's not... I, I have a, I just, I, I have just this, this visceral response to something like that where, is this really what you want to be remembered for? Is this really what you want to be known as? And I think that it kind of is, is spoken about in here and how it ties one to the next, right? So, so if you have this need and it's unjustified, then it's a, a detriment to your reputation, right? And and we have this idea now in society where no no publicity is bad publicity. I disagree, and I think most of us do. There is bad publicity, and you don't want to be known for, for being that person. Sure, you'll be known, but yeah, I'd rather be unknown if that's what my legacy is going to be. So, Javi, hopefully that answers that question. Um, I appreciate that answer, and I think we're going to return to it when we reach the third part. But in the meantime, I want to go on to the second part, which is the idea of forgetting our own skills and abilities. Right? It essentially says that anyone who does not um, continue to build upon their skills, whether that is Torah learning skills, I imagine it's, it's true of, of medical knowledge, right? And we're not talking about increasing, uh, increasing skills. We're talking about just keeping up the skills that one has. Not resting on one's laurels. Correct. Um, or whether it's seen as, a, a, as an incline, and if you're not constantly moving up the incline, you are slipping back down the incline. Um, and... And so what do we know about memory? What do we know about how our brains work in terms of trying to keep hold of the information that we have and being able to retrieve it? Um, and, and what would this tell us about how much we need to review and re-engage with the material that we want to remember, whether it be Torah learning or something else that's important to us? So I'm going to answer it very simply, which is, if you don't use it, you lose it. But I'm actually going to toss it right back to you, Avi, not as Rabbi Green, but rather as <coughs> Dr. Green with the uh, doctorate in education, because you know the answer to this question. It's a great question, and you know exactly that repetition is key. So why don't you talk to us more about that? How can we stay sharp as we continue because it's not so much a psychological question as it is an educator question. So please, go on. So I generally see it when we're talking about working with students who are, I'll say young, and by young I mean 18 or under. And there is the idea of learning something first and then the repetition that's required to take it from short-term memory to long-term memory. And none of that is a perfect 
uh, method, right? So first of all, some of it depends on each individual student's learning preferences and abilities. So some people really learn better by writing things down. Some people learn better from reading. Some people learn better from um, hearing it over and over again. Um, so to a certain extent, it depends on finding your methodology. But I often recommend to my students that they do things in sets of threes. There seems to be some magical number in that, in the sense that if you, and yes, there's no doubt that that is tied to our Mishnah, but I think it is tied to our memory. Our memory has a sense of remembering things in sets of threes, and more than that, and it starts to um, drift off at places and, and, and get lost. And so the idea that if you're going to make an argument, you should have three examples to back up your argument. The idea that if you're going to learn something, you should review it three times. And again, I'm a big fan of learning it in different ways. So whether it's spelling words and you're writing it out with your finger, whether you're writing it with a pencil, whether you're imagining those letters floating in front of your face, um, or whether it is a chapter of Mishnah or Gemara that you are trying to understand and you're graphing it out so that you're looking at a flowchart and trying to understand the shakla vatarya, the back and forth of the argument in the Gemara so that you can understand who's having the argument with who, what are they trying to argue about, and what conclusion do they reach. So I think that those are the kinds of things that help people have a better understanding and I agree with you, if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, and in fact, as short as the period of a summer, we talk about that there is significant learning loss from one school year to the next. Um, I can even often see it in my own students over something as short as a two-week winter break that wasn't so long ago, where our students come back and they simply don't remember the things that we've told them just before we left. So to that extent, I think that if something is important to us and we want to continue holding on to it and building on it, we need to continue to review it. You know, you mentioned the other thing um, about storing it. I think that's an important piece, too. And I have a lot of people who come to me and they say, I can't remember. And the way I describe it to them is... Imagine you're drafting a document in Word or whatever word processing document program you like to use. Um, if you don't save it, you close it, you cannot retrieve the file. That doesn't mean you don't remember it. If you didn't store it to begin with, and when I'm thinking about you know things that are important to people, I always clarify that with memory because memory is recalling information. But if you didn't store it in the first place, you cannot possibly remember it. So I think that's an important vital piece when we're talking about memory. Memory is something that was stored in being able to retrieve it. In medicine, we have the idea of see one, do one, teach one. Again, that three, uh, which thank God is not as heavily emphasized anymore because see one, do one, teach one, often led to the second time around not being correct. 
but the idea is still there, and it, the point is, is not that it's literally one, hopefully, uh, but rather that if you don't get your hands in it, if you don't learn it in more than one way, then you will not be able to continue to do it. And so the see one, do one, teach one is, again, not meant to be literal, but rather that you are observing something and then you're getting your hands in there and then you're giving the lesson to someone else so that it can fully be stored and imprinted. The, the key to remembering things is to continue to learn about them. And, and I know that there's continuing education in so many different fields. And that gets back into the idea of there are people whose job it is to come up with new ideas and to seek out new ways of doing things. And if they don't do it and we don't learn it, then we don't progress as a field. And I think we can all look back to what we do and say, wow, if, I, if, if there was never any growth in this area... I would still be doing this this way. And and I it's a vague statement I can say from, you know, from obviously from the educator standpoint, right? If if there weren't new ways that people realized that they needed to teach in a multitude of of different environments and with with a multitude of stool, tools and using a variety of senses, then everybody would still be standing in front of the room saying, "All right, this is what it is." And no one would learn anything except for a very small percentage of the classroom. And so that's an area where we've seen growth. In, in my own field, you know, I was recently at a conference and it was a very humbling experience to be in a situation where I genuinely learned something completely new. Now, on the one hand, of course, it's great because conferences are expensive and I shouldn't be going and not learning anything. And at the same time, I'm far enough out of my training now where there is new stuff. And I can't possibly be knowing every single thing new within a field. But at the same time, obviously, I can go about and learn these things and, and become more versed in them. And that drive needs to be there. And, and we have, obviously, in medicine and in other uh certain professions, a mandatory requirement to continue to learn that, which is very good and very important because otherwise some people would rest on their laurels and they'd harm others, which brings us to our third piece, sort of. Sort of. So I think the third piece is actually an envelope component that takes us back to the first piece. The third piece is those who exploit the crown of Torah shall fade away. And to me, I tie this back to the first piece that we talked about, right? The idea of wanting to make a name for oneself. And if one realizes that fame can be fleeting, they may believe that they can extend their fame by tying themselves to something that is, has greater longevity, or, or already includes something that has been around for a, a good long time. And so there are a lot of people who tie their authority or even their fame to Torah. Um, and I think that one of the, the stories that, that 
best describes the opposite of this is that at one point, Rav Moshe Feinstein was asked how he became the Gadol Hador, how he became the posek, the decider for an entire generation. And he said, no one appointed me. No one asked me. One person came and asked me a question, and they liked what I answered. So they sent other people, and more people came and asked me questions, and more people came and asked me questions. And eventually, you know, organizations were coming to ask me questions. And so there is really a, a groundswell of acceptance from the bottom up in Judaism in terms of who are our Torah authorities. I think that when people try to claim themselves as Torah authorities without the support of community, those are people we need to be careful of. Those are people who are using Torah not as a tool for teaching and connecting, but as a, a baton to hit people with, to, to force people into doing what they think is the right thing. Um, and so it is incumbent upon leaders within the Jewish community, both lay leaders and professional leaders, to make sure that when they are using the Torah, when they are quoting the Torah, they are doing it to educate, and they are doing it to help people grow, um, and not to shame, and not to force people into uncomfortable or unfortunate situations. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.